Welcome to Doctor Who A to Z, a show that covers everything Doctor Who from beginning to end, from 1963 to present, from Hartnell to Gatwa, from Auton to Zygon. What's up, Whovians? Welcome to Doctor Who A to Z. My name is Alan. You go in. Oh, <laughs> my name is Josh. <laughs> and we're still getting used to this whole thing. So, you know, you got to make some uh, allowances for us here. <laughs> this week, we are talking about Resurrection of the Daleks. But before we get into that, we've got some news that we want to cover that came out this past week. And that is the announcement of. So, the BBC made a big mystery kind of, you know, spoilery post. And. You know, and then the next day they release some information about this new thing that's launching, and it's called Doomsday. Joshi, give us a rundown of what we know about it so far. Well, Doomsday is a multimedia platform story similar to what they did a couple of years ago with Time Lord Victorious. If you are familiar with Time Lord Victorious, that is a series of adventures that the Doctor had across multiple incarnations that were an audio and so the audio from Big Finish and then audio books from the BBC, comics, novels, a whole bunch of tie-in stuff telling one, well, parts of a big large story. Games, too. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think it was a game, too, as well. Yep. So they're doing it again with this story called Doomsday, which we don't know a whole lot about as of yet, other than the fact that it is involving the world's greatest assassin who is being chased by, I guess, the literal personification of death from what it seems. seems I don't know. Right. right. And seems to think that the only way that she can survive, she has 24 hours to live and has to track down the doctor in order to be able to survive for some reason. <laughs> right. So this is, again, like you said, being spread across multiple releases on multiple platforms. That's a lot of story in a lot of different places to tell that's only going to happen in 24 hour period. Right. And, you know, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Obviously, right. she'll probably leap through time meeting doctor to doctor. Right. It's, it's kind of this whole endeavor is a, a tricky thing to manage because obviously you're going to have people who read books, but mm -hmm. don't listen to the audios or, you know, read the comics and but don't look at the books. Right. You know, we're not all massive nerds and consume everything like you and me, Alan. So <laughs> I can't afford all that. <laughs> so they have to tell a self-contained story in that particular yeah. format, but also contribute to the overall story arc, right. which can be difficult. Um, you can argue that Time Lord Victorious was pulled off successfully one way or the other. I mean, I, I felt it worked out pretty well. I, I, the individual parts of it, um, I fairly enjoyed. And, you know, and it, it, when you combine them all together to tell the overall story, it was pretty satisfying. Okay. Um, so hopefully they can pull it off again. The teaser trailer that they released did not fill me with a whole lot of confidence. But, nope. you know, it's just, just a teaser trailer. Right. Just a teaser trailer. So, you know, I'll, I'll wait and see what actually comes out. I will say that uh, when 
Victorious got announced, I was really excited about it. And they they released like these graphics of like the timeline of how you can like follow the story along and all the different media and what's getting released when and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, oh my God, this is so exciting. I can't wait. And then I just didn't. I just, <laughs> I, I just didn't do I, I think I bought one of the novels. I never read it. I never you know body because it, you know it, it started to remind me of i mean it's super cool and it's really exciting but it started to remind me of what marvel was doing back in the 90s when every book crossed over into every other book sure and i just got to the point where i'm like i cannot keep up with all this stuff anymore so i just i guess i just kind of got discouraged from even jumping into victoria yeah i mean understandable it's a lot to try to keep up with yeah, uh, but I guess they, they kind of bank on that. You know, we, sure. we were kind of discussing off air um, the the merits of of doing this, and you know, why would they want to do this? And obviously, <laughs> the idea is you know you spread it out amongst all these different people who have these licenses, and the idea being that tying them all together, people want to try stuff out, and hopefully, like you know, raises the bar for everybody. Like everybody mm -hmm. goes up a little bit. Yeah. So, I, I, you know, for that, as someone who is such a big proponent of the audios and the comics and the, the novels as I am, yep. I, I mean, I'm all for going to do whatever is possible to bring more attention to those because there's some of those stories are some of the, my favorite bits of Dr. Who. I mean, I only did a podcast for over six years, you know, <laughs> focusing on it. So obviously right. <laughs> I really enjoy that kind of stuff. And so hopefully it uh, turns out, well, I, again, I was a lot more excited for Timeline Victorious because I like that concept more than me this too. one. Yeah. This one doesn't grab me. I got to say, but I mean, we really don't know a whole lot about it just yet. So I, I'll reserve judgment, but I don't, I'm not as excited as I was with Timeline Victorious. That's for sure. No. And I'm, I'm just going to say, and, and I don't mean this in any kind of like, you know, overtly negative way and certainly not toward the actress, but the teaser just doesn't do it for me. It just does not sell the concept to me. And, you know, the, here's the thing. There's no hard and fast rule about, you know, the, the universe's greatest assassin has to be like this dark, moody, grumpy, you know, character that is imposing and frightening and raw and threatening. It, it doesn't have to be. But that. that's but that's where you're you go to. Right. Absolutely. Exactly. This doesn't seem like something that carries any weight at all to it. Right. Um, as I said, when it was first announced, I feel like the description of the story about this world's greatest assassin is like meeting this campy as hell teaser trailer they put out, like two speeding trains that just crash into each other and derail. And I was like, yeah. what is even going on with this? But, yeah, you know, we'll see. Well, I mean, I hope it's successful for them because so far the, the reception of the teaser has not been that positive amongst well fans. i mean I, I i'm out of modern life for most part these days so i am not familiar with the comedian who is uh no. in this but evidently she's quite popular and has lots of fans yeah and they seem very excited and i'm happy for that for them i hope that she wins me over from you know sure my first experience to her when I saw the teaser, I didn't even know that it was somebody that I was supposed to like that people knew, you know, I didn't yeah. know it was somebody that was like, quote unquote, famous. No clue. Yeah, I so, just I'm not one that likes leaning into the camp. I know some people do. 
but I, I'm I'm not one of those people that likes to lean into the camp. Yeah. Um, you know, I always felt that first season of RTD I had a tendency to kind of lean into that a little bit too. And this feels very yeah. much 2005 first season RTD. So <laughs> we'll see. We will see. So we'll keep, we'll, we'll report back in when it starts to happen. Yeah. I'm sure. We'll, right. we'll check it out. All right. Let's jump into resurrection of the Daleks. Boy. Which was, yeah, I know. Right. Uh, resurrection was first broadcast. February 8th and 15th, 1984. It stars Peter Davison as the fifth doctor and Mark Strickson as Turlow. And it's the final regular appearance by Janet Fielding as Tegan Jovanka, though she will make a triumphant return in 2022 in the final Jodie Whittaker episode, The Power of the Doctor. It marks the return of both Davros and the Daleks, their first full story appearance since destiny of the daleks in season 17 five years earlier and it sees the debut of terry malloy as davros it was originally intended to be the closing story of season 20 but was delayed by an industrial strike by the electricians union which prevented enlightenment from beginning production once the strike was resolved the studio sessions allotted for resurrection had to be given to enlightenment because it was the third story in a trilogy michael wisher had originally agreed to play Davros, but when the serial was reallocated to season 21, he was unavailable due to other work. The model shots were done at Ealing Studios and featured the show's first use of motion-controlled camera rig. And in a break from tradition, it was broadcast as two 45-minute episodes in order to make room for the 1984 Olympics broadcast. So, that's Resurrection of the Daleks. What do you think? So, Resurrection of the Daleks. I don't think that this is a good story. Oh, I don't think it comes together. And yet, and yet, there's something about this story yeah. that makes it where I just can't dismiss it right out of hand. Mm. Because I, 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 I don't think it really, really works. But as I, I sat rewatching it, I was like, you know, it's got a lot of great parts that don't gel together, but it's trying for something. And I want to give credit for that. And I, I hate giving Eric Sayward credit for anything, really. <laughs> but I think this is probably his best effort that he does for the show. He said, damning with faint phrase. Right. I think it comes together m more successfully. First of all, I do enjoy it a lot. Overall, I think it's a really good, and certainly for that 80s period, and certainly for those 80s Dalek stories, I think it's a really good one. I think this comes together better than Attack of the Cybermen. Yes. And I, I, and I love, which is the other Sayward script uh, a year later. And I love Attack of the Cybermen. But I think that there's <laughs> something really, really interesting going on in this one and i don't think it's perfect it, it's not like you know last week we talked about robots of death which is as close to a perfect doctor who story as you can get sure this one doesn't quite hit that mark there's still some things about this that i have a couple of issues with but overall i think it's really successful well i i think i think there's a lot of great ideas in this story and i'm sure we'll, we'll talk about a lot of them yeah i think the issue is is that say word 
is reaching above his head. I just don't think he has the capabilities as a writer to really bring it home. I think mm. if the same story and the same material was in the hands of a more talented writer, it would be a classic. Mm. Because I think the ideas that Sayward wants to play with here, which is, I mean, like, obviously, the, the big thing about the story is the violence and then the deaths. It, it has yeah. the record in the classic series of having the most on-screen deaths of any other classic series story. It may right. even be more than any, any new series. I, I, I don't have the numbers on those, but it definitely has more on-screen deaths than any other classic story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that he's trying to make a point about violence in the modern day, uh, the idea of having the dummies dressed as policemen and mowing people down. I think there's yeah. something he wants to say about the state of policing at that point in time. Cause that's kind of like, we start seeing that turn of, you know, maybe not accepting that may, maybe sometime the police abuse some of their powers type of thing. Mm. And so I think he's got like these kernels of things that he wants to say, but at the same time, he can't resist putting in just random acts of violence and just death all over the place almost too much. And I mean, I think my, that might've been like his thinking of maybe this is the point. And we'll, we'll talk about Tegan, I'm sure later on. And yeah. I, the Tegan part of this is phenomenal when we get to that last episode Yeah, yeah. Uh, because of that. But I just, I just don't think he really, puts it together in a way that is meaningful and like the, the violence and the death of it kind of washes over you. Like the idea is just supposed to be uncomfortable watching this. Right. And the idea, like, especially seeing the doctor waving around so many guns in the story, he's just ready to just shoot everybody. Right. And uh, outright say, I'm going to go kill someone. I'm like, that's not supposed to sit well with you. I just don't think that, the story really earns what it is trying to say, if that makes sense. So it is, as you say, a, a brutal story. I, 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 I watched the last, I think I watched this about a month ago and, and I clocked it at that time in the first 60 seconds, nine people are gunned down in the street. <laughs> yeah. I mean, come on <laughs> including just random innocent bystander who's just like standing there like hey what's going on <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's the end of you buddy yep <laughs> i mean so this is a story and i'm wondering you know he wanted to make he, he wanted this to be a hollywood action adventure blockbuster kind of movie you know Absolutely. that was his goal and but he wants to do it on a doctor who budget using doctor who themes and I think there's a little bit of a clash there. And there does come a point, certainly in the second episode, where like people are just like shot down in a hallway and you're like, and, and it doesn't even phase you anymore because there have been so many of them. And they're just like stacked up like firewood. <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's crazy. It's just like, say where it's like, all right, well, I've got to end this story. So everybody needs to die now. So let's just go and just here's a random scene of everybody dying. Right. And I don't think the death count is as high in Attack of the Cybermen, but there's there's still you know an over over reliance of on the action or on the um, 
violence in that story. Mm -hmm. Um, but this one is just, is crazy. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) it, it really is. And again, I, I, I think he's trying to say something, um, but I think he just enjoys the action and the yeah. violence too much. And, and again, overdoes it because he definitely leans into that again with Attack of the Cybermen. And I don't think that, I think at that point in time, he's not really trying to say anything about the status of violence. He's just like, here's what I did yeah. and here's what I like writing about and here's what we're going to do. The thing that I always gets me about Eric Sayward is for somebody who is nominally, you know, in a position of great say and power in Doctor Who when he was script editor, I just don't think that he really cares about Doctor Who that much, if that makes any sense. Right. Because he, you can just tell, and I mean, in his stories, the Doctor is almost always irrelevant to what's going on. He, and in, here in Resurrection, he's much more interested in doing like this grand galactic idea of, you know, the Daleks and then Davros is coming back and he's going to fight against the Daleks. And you've got these space um, mercenaries and, uh, you know, the, the Earth Federation, the future and what kind of like sorry state that they're in that they can't even be bothered to really keep watch on Davros like he he's, wants to tell about all those kind of things and and then yeah. and the doctor is just kind of there in the background until we need to resolve the episodes and then here's the doctor to like kill off all the Daleks <laughs> so <laughs> you know I've read lots of stories where the doctor is not first and foremost in the story I mean we, mm-hmm. we've got episodes with the, without the doctor around like a lot but even in the most successful of those, even if the doctor isn't present, the doctor is a moving force, a factor in those stories. I just don't feel that way in Sayward stories. You know, that's something that usually gets accused of the Davison era a lot, like that he's too passive. His character isn't the the moving force that maybe Tom Baker's character was and things like that, where he and, and that's a, certainly the case in Earthshock where he's just sort of carried on by the the stream of events rather than being the proactive figure that you would expect them to be. And that's something that people, I don't know that I agree with it, but people see as a continuing yeah, I, I think I'm in the same Davison. boat as you. Yeah. I don't know if I, if I really agree with that. And yeah. the way that he kind of writes the doctor is, he, maybe he's kind of trying to answer back at that by... Mm. Yeah. putting you know guns in his hand like he shoots a dalek mutant with a handgun and goes right. off to to kill davros and you know something that you would never think of the doctor doing um right and it, it always you know <laughs> that that scene of david Tennant talking about how i never use guns and then i just really always flash back to this story right. every time i i see that because <laughs> like okay buddy <laughs> exactly and uh, you know i'm gonna say also i think you're being very generous by saying that Sayward might be trying to make some socio-political commentary on the state of violence but I I just don't know. I think he yeah, just I, likes I, violence. I mean see all right I yes and I think that's where he fails is he just likes the violence. He just can't help himself by putting more and more violence in because the reason I'm giving him credit for that is the resolution of the Tegan storyline. Yes, yes. And so the idea that it's supposed to be so 
overwhelming to you that you understand why Tegan wants to leave by the end of the story. Absolutely. I think he kind of fails in that though, because by just making it across the entire story when Tegan's like not even involved. Yeah. It kind of loses its power of mm. her saying, well, there's so much violence involved. She just kind of sees it. Like if you moved a lot of those deaths into that last episode, I think yeah. like, especially with um, her, oh, what is the, um, the woman that she is with there in the rest of the, the story? Oh, yeah. I don't remember. I forget what her name is, but she just kind of gets killed randomly in the yeah. third episode. But I think like if you had had her like be killed right there at the end, that, that one, two punch of Tegan gets this poor guy just, sitting on the banks of the river he she gets him killed because she's yeah. running away from the the policeman and she's like trying to wave him down and the policeman sees that she's trying to do that and just shoots him and guy didn't even see us coming he just falls yeah. into the thames just falls uh so so like the combination of that and seeing the death right in front of her of her friend for the episode and then all the dogs being killed like i think if you concentrated all that like in a five to ten minute period that would be like enough for anybody and you would totally understand sure. tegan wanting to leave of that i mean like right. it still works and i get that's the idea that he wants to do with this story mm -hmm. um so like I, I, again that's why i'm trying to be kind to him i guess right. by by assuming that this is like the whole point it's not just being written in for violence for violence sake mm -hmm. i can't i can't make that distinction in attack of the cybermen but i can make it here <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly when do you remember the first time you ever saw this oh uh goodness no i don't think i remember exactly when yeah uh, i remember I john nathan turner used to do these one day sort of conventions in a theater and he would go around america and in major pbs markets for doctor who and do these things and bring an actor you know and do all this stuff to kind of like foster up the American fandom. And that was my first exposure to this one and a couple of other ones. Uh, that was the first time we ever saw any season 21 stories because our PBS station was of course still showing Tom Baker. Sure. So, um, and he would come every year and you would see stuff that you wouldn't see on your local television for a while. And I remember that this looked phenomenal on a big screen with a theater full of people all watching it for the first time. And so I, I want to kind of talk a little bit about like some of the technical aspects, like the set design and the model shots. I think both are fantastic. I think the, the, the ship model, you know, the, the footage that they do there looks really good for the time for, especially for a doctor who budget. And I think the, the sets, uh, on both spaceships are so gorgeous. They're so detailed. They're so realistic. You know, I, I think there's a lot of depth there. So I think it's a great looking story. I, I cannot disagree with you there. Um, it certainly does look phenomenal. It's probably, obviously they were going for a star Wars and alien vibe yes. um, and, and look, and yeah. it is probably the, closest that it uh the show manages um yeah. 
because because of I, I probably really benefited from being moved from that last story of season 20 because i mean mm. of course you always hear the stories like that last story of any season always ended up being ruined because they'd already been out of run out of budget <laughs> so true. moving this to 21 probably did a lot of favors that's uh, true. yeah and uh, they really made the most of it except except uh-huh for those damn helmets oh, and those yeah. damn hats that I just know. look absolutely horrible. <laughs> now you, you notice that I that I did bring up the set design and the model shot. I didn't say anything about costumes. <laughs> I don't think the costumes are the strongest point of this story. Although some of them are are good and functional, I just don't. Think I, I don't have any problems other yeah. than the goofy guys, the, the goofy Dalek helmets, and then those hats in the first episode with the bill that just kind of like comes down to big point, like right. they're you know in flock of seagulls. <laughs> every time i think of those hats i just think of that one guy who goes we are defenseless and you, <laughs> and you can't take him seriously because of the hat it's just yeah absolutely hilarious. yeah should have gone with better headgear but you know what can you do <laughs> sometimes sometimes doctor who's big failing are the hats right <laughs> it's a they should have taken a lesson from uh, last week's story, because I, yeah. I, the hats in Robots of Death, phenomenal. <laughs> the one thing that I really do like about this story is, and, and I'm, I'm going to put this down to say word also, paying attention to what's uh, kind of going on, because I feel like this one sets up a lot of stuff that gets resolved in the next two Dalek stories. But at the same time, it picks up themes from the previous Dalek story, from Destiny, where you know, the Daleks are coming after Davros because they're locked in that war, that logical impasse with the Movellans, and they need something to help them get an advantage, to get that edge over the Movellans. So they come and dig out their creator, who is an organic, who has a, a, a less logical mind, is not a mechanical computer mind, to give them some kind of advantage. And so I like the fact that this carries on from destiny and uh, sets the stage for stuff that's going to happen in the next two Dalek stories. So there's a nice little like thematic through line. I want to say yes and no. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Because, you know, for us who are, are seeped in that world, it, it's phenomenal, right? Because you can see the story play out, but you've you got to stop and think this is a time before anybody could go and watch anything at any time. I know destiny of the dogs had aired how many years before this five. Right. And so right. like you're looking at five or six years, nobody remembered what the hell Mavellan was. And you know, the lucky that they remembered who Davros was. <laughs> so to, to come in and constantly pick up on these threads, like no wonder people started to feel lost. Yeah. with the continuity i mean and, and that's something that this era and you know going through the next you know doctor always gets kind of you know hit for mm -hmm. is the over-reliance of continuity you know you mm -hmm. bring in goddamn ian levine who sits yep. there acting like he knows what's what and because he's this Guys, like, well, you got to tell this because this happened in the story. This, this, and this. Yeah, you know the 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 worst example of your nitpicky type of fan, and you put them in 
a position where they get a lot of creative say and stuff, then you get stories that are great for a small percentage of fans and then just completely lose, you know, the majority of everybody else. Well, and, and I think that, I think that that's true when it's something that your story hinges on previous knowledge. And I think that it's, this one isn't so tightly wound into that, that the couple of lines of dialogue that it gives you isn't, you know, I think that it does a good enough job just telling you what you need to know to move on with the story. You know, it's not like okay. if you don't remember from five years ago, you're going to be completely lost. Sure. Now, okay. That, some... That's fair because it's, but the issue is it starts here yes. and then, and I know you like it, but then you hit attack of the damn dude, Cybermen dude, I and it, it is absolutely insanity. It is. I totally agree with you. That is absolutely bonkers to the point where they filmed uh, the, 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 the planet exterior in the same quarry that they shot Tomb of the Cybermen. Like, who cares? How and does like, that look, matter? Look, I love that you want to bring back the same actor. And we're oh, way yeah. off track. Now we're talking about Attack of Cybermen. Oh, but that's okay. I love you. You want to bring back the same actor that played the original cyber controller. But come on. Right. It has been 20 years. Right. The man's not in the same shape that he was. Right. <laughs> it just looks ridiculous. God bless him. God but bless him. That's neither here nor there. That's far. We'll wait for we'll save that for our Attack of the Cybermen episode. <laughs> I, I was never even thinking we would do that one, but <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Because I have a lot to say about that one. <laughs> I'm sure that you do. <laughs> Being the Colin Baker fan that I am. Um, so, you know, and let's just, I just want to pause there because this brings up a thought to me. The 80s tend to get slagged off a lot, you know, by the, the long-term hardcore Who fans as being the the cheap, the, the gaudy, the overlit, the sensationalist era. But I... I mean, it, you know, everything was soap operas, you know, even Bowie had his gaudy period in the 80s. So, you know, it's it's what it was at the time. But Man, I you love the say 80s. What you want. Look, 80s who was my who I yeah. love 80s and, who and it is my favorite that how much I absolutely love the Davison era. Agreed. Yeah, agreed. Um, I mean, I'm not as big a fan of the Baker era as you, but then, you know, we comes around to the McCoy era, which is my absolute favorite. So yeah. two, two out of three ain't bad. Right on. Some of my problem, and, and like I said, I do love this story a lot. Some of my problem with it comes from some of the ideas that are thrown into it that nothing is done with. And I'm thinking specifically of there's there's two things and it all comes down to this idea of the Daleks cloning people. And first they're cloning earth like high level officials like government people and in the army and stuff and they're replacing them to do something. But then later in the story what they say is that they have cloned Tegan and Turlo, and they're going to clone the doctor and they're going to send the clones to infiltrate Gallifrey. Now, both of those are like really rich vein that you could mine for great stories. And they're just throwaway lines. Yeah. How insane is it that in the last five minutes of this story, 
the Dalek Supreme shows up on the <laughs> TARDIS scanner and is like, oh, by the way, we've taken over all sorts of you know people of power and they're right. still out there. And the doctor's like, eh, it's going to be fine. They're not stable. <laughs> and like just leaves. Yeah. Like how right. insane is that? Yes. And just to throw that out there, then like completely forget about it. Yes. Uh, because you're right. Like I, that, I mean, like I, I, I'm guessing that's just supposed to be a say we're joke saying haha all of our politicians are crazy now because they're dalek duplicates but just just throwing that in there is absolutely nutty because like it's like one of the last things you see in the story and you're like all right what's gonna happen with that and you never hear about it again right (laughs) doctor's like ah it's gonna be fine right and i love the idea of them cloning some you know characters that can then go to gallifrey worm their way into you know because especially after 2005 when you have the concept of the time war which we know was daleks and time lords you know it makes sense that they would be taking this kind of action that they would be taking these kind of steps you know to get an inroad into you know their enemy so i just wish that something could have been done with it i mean it's just it's a single line of dialogue and it just leaves you with all these ideas of what could have happened what could be done with it and nothing yeah yeah but i mean that would require writing more about the doctor and stuff and he wants well, to get over to talk right. about Lytton and his dalek shooting stuff so you know got to move on to that <laughs> um what about the cast I just want to say that I think the the highlight of the story is uh, Rodney Bruce, who plays Stein. I thought Stein was a great character, and I thought that his performance was really good, particularly when he's going back and forth between, you know, being controlled by the Daleks and being, you know, his stuttering, unsure self. I thought he was. I thought he was really good. Have you ever heard the rumor that? That was supposed to be Chameleon, and when they moved it to season 21, they rewrote it and made it Stein. Like, if you stop and think about yeah. it, it kind of makes it, a little sense. It does make sense, because it's, yes. it's supposed to come right after King's Demons, Yes, and having him involved and that being been the companion for the story. Yeah, I mean, that would have been amazing. And it could have well, been a good, you know, it could have been a good send-off story for Chameleon, if that were the way that it had gone, you know? Yeah. But... Just, yeah, just an I mean, interesting thing to think about. I mean, I don't know how true that is, but that's always something I've always kind of heard. Yeah. What did you think of Terry Molloy? And how did how do you rank him uh, amongst the other Davrosses or Davrai or whatever? So I really like Terry Molloy as Davros. I like him a lot. Um, I don't think this is his best performance as Davros. Okay. I think he's still... I think he's trying a lot to be wisher in this story mm. and then kind of takes it, you know, and, and does his own thing with it a little bit further on because the point when he goes on the crazy rant, he goes on in this story, yeah. like that's like pure Malloy Davros. And yeah. he's going to do more of that later on. And then like, that's the point where you see the possibility of what he's going to be able to do with Davros. Yes. Um, uh, and so like, that's my favorite part for him in this story, but I, I think, and I think he's still trying to find his way along and he will be better in later stories. Yeah. I, I love him. I think he's fantastic. Even in this one. Um, and I think, well, I think this one is, is more like 
it's truer Davros. Whereas mm-hmm. in the next two stories, you sort of get, you know, they try to hide who he is and they try to, you know, change how he's, you know, like the great healer angle in the Colin Baker one. And they hide him in the Emperor Dalek thing for three out of four episodes in the Sylvester one. So, you know, I think that this one, he gets his best chance to do on on TV anyway, because he did a lot in audio. But this is his best chance, his first chance and best chance to get a good, meaty Davros role. I thought what they did with him, and this is another tangent, but I thought what they did with him in the Colin Baker one was interesting, where he's sort of the the emotional manipulator where he's like, you know, egging people on to do things. And I, I thought that that might be my favorite one because he's really well, well that, written in that one. And sure. And, and that's kind of what I'm going at is I feel like he really develops, um, especially in revelation. Yeah. Uh, he's got, he's more, I don't know if charismatic is the right word, but yeah. he really, like here he is he's being like classic Davros, yeah. But he he's you know, when he gets into like you're saying, be more manipulative and and he kind of has that range of his voice where you know he gets yeah. down almost like sweet and seductive a little yeah. bit. Yeah. And uh I mean and he he uses that to great effect in his audio stories, which is yes, he does what I really love about his performance as Davros mm-hmm. is being a little bit more of you know that kind of guy like he's not just this like scientist where he's talking about like how fascinating it is that these two opposing forces are always logically outmaneuvering each other and and just kind of like being matter-of-factly and then goes on his rant but like when he's able to kind of shift between being kind of suave and you know manipulative into his rants and all this kind of stuff that's what he's at his best well and i think that uh resurrection is the continuation of davros as mad scientist and i i kind of always sort of think of in revelation he's davros as cult leader Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah where he does turn where he does use charm and he does use charisma as as weapon and i think it's fascinating yeah absolutely um so here's the thing i don't know if you remember this at all uh you you might be too young <laughs> but i'll take back that in this back in the 70s there was a whole series of shampoo commercials on american television where this very very glamorous lady would come on screen and she would say hello i'm rula lenska and they would always have a caption on the screen where it would say something like um star of British film and, and, and theater or whatever it would say. And I forget what shampoo it was. It was like one of those brands that you never hear of anymore, like Prell or some shit. I don't even know, (laughs) but she would come on and there was this whole series of commercials and literally every person in America was like, who the hell is this person to the point where she was spoofed on Saturday night live. Jane Curtin did a great rule of Linska. And nobody knew who she was. And so I remember the first time I ever saw this, I was so excited that I was actually seeing something to where I would be like, I know who Rula Linska is now. It's so it's (laughs) it was such a goofy thing. You know, it's like those Anthony Stewart head 
coffee commercials sure. before anybody knew who he was here. And people were so fascinated with it. And you were like, who the fuck is Rula Linska? <laughs> it's just one of those weird things that the first time I saw this, I was like, hey, look at that. It's that, it's that shampoo lady. You're right. I am too young. Thank you. <laughs> Dude, go look them up on YouTube. I will certainly do that. They they are hilarious. Um, so let's talk about Tegan. Ah, let's talk Tegan. about Janet Fielding and the way that Tegan is treated in the story and the way she makes her exit. I will. I'm going to, I'm going to stake my claim on it right here. Best classic series exit in this, in history. I yeah. absolutely, absolutely think it is the best exit scene for any companion okay. in the classic series. Okay. Um, you really like, I mean, she is acting her hard out yeah. in those last minutes. Um, I seem to recall that as she was getting ready to film this, she was like walking around set, like kicking boxes, working herself up into a tizzy to where like all the cast and crew was like, what's going on? Somebody needs to do something about Janet. <laughs> <laughs> but she was doing it to get herself worked up yeah. and you can, and it really pays off because you can see the tears in her eyes yeah. right. as she is telling a doctor, like, this is, enough i i can't do this anymore yeah it's not fun anymore and it just like the conflict that plays across her face yeah. as she is saying this like she doesn't really want to but she needs to and i mean you she it's saying it and you can tell she really hasn't made up her mind but she needs to to say it and yeah. You know, and then she she comes back after the doctor has left and has to console herself with a good old brave heart Tegan. It's just oh, powerful stuff. It, it it's really phenomenal. It's, it's it's phenomenal. I agree. It is really I think it is I think there's one other companion exit that I that I might rank higher. Not because it's as well done, but because conceptually I think it was really a cool thing. I'll, I'll let you guess. I'll let you speculate on that and see if you can come up with it. But, but I do think that this one is really good. And I think they, they, you know, the later in the season, I think it was the very next story. They tried to give Turlo that same kind of exit. They tried to build up some material that made his exit a significant one. I'm not sure it worked as well as this one. I think this one, it, it, it says so much about, the character and about Janet and the way that the, the, the part that the character has played in the companion mix over the past three seasons. Absolutely. I mean, and that's, you know, that's not like Mark Strickson's fault or oh, no, anybody who's, no. who's working on that story. It's just like Turlo. is just a guy who yes. just happened to be going around with the doctor. Right. But Tegan, Tegan was a, companion with a capital C, you know, friend through thick and thin type yes. of traveling companion. Absolutely. And so they could have written the best thing possible for Turlo. And I don't think they could have been able to match up to what they did with Tegan here. Right. And, and I think that there's a, and I don't, that this, I don't say this in a sense of like laying blame or anything, but I think there was a little bit of a failing in his character arc. It started out great it could have gone into interesting places and I don't think it did and nothing at all to do with Mark Strickson. I think he's fantastic. No. I, I've actually got a lot of love for, for Turlo. I yeah. mean, I think I probably like him 
more than you know after Tegan more than anybody else. As much as I love Nissa, but yeah. I, I love the concept of Turlo so much, and it is unfortunate yeah. that they kind of let it down. Yes, um, I, I just I, I love the idea of this guy who is shady and and shifty and you never kind of know what he's going to do yeah and then maybe through like if this was being written in modern day i I have no doubt that turlo would be like my favorite character because i always am drawn to characters with a great character arc yes people who start off as kind of crappy people and then end up doing the right thing type of thing yeah and that's where that's the story they want to tell with Turlo. They just didn't really succeed at being able to tell it. Right. And, and it mainly only lasts through that first trilogy that he's in. And then he's just a character. He's just kind yeah. of tagging along. And you see a little bit of that in his, you know, moments of cowardice and his hesitance right. and all this kind of stuff, you know, so you see a little linger on from that. But I, I think that if this were a, 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 a modern series character, they would have mined that maybe too much. They may have leaned too heavily into that. You know, can you imagine if Lady Christina had been made a full-time companion? I would not have liked that at all. (laughs) Well, I I, I will give Trillo this, at least in this story, he isn't a simpering coward. And actually, yes, I mean, he doesn't do a lot, but at least he's proactive in this story. So agreed. uh, You know, um, Probably one of the better of the latter half Turlo stories, I'd say. For him, at least. Yeah. The only other thing that I don't know if we really, I mean, we kind of talked about talking about the violence is just like the characterization of the doctor in the story. It's always been a big sticking point to me that the fact that he just is so ready to leap up to, oh, I got to go kill Gavros now. Like, what? Where'd that come from? Why? Like he, you, you hadn't even seen him in the story. What has he done that gets you so riled up that you got to go kill him now? <laughs> like it, it just, it's never like sat right with me at all. Right. right. But that's understandable. Yeah. And yeah, I don't think it's not right with Davis either. And certainly didn't sit right with later, you know, sure. Like tenant. I mean, tenant wouldn't look back on that and say, that's the doctor I want to play, you know? Right. I mean, If I had to come down, like, I feel like kind of like the biggest failing of the story is it should have, it should have been a big turning point for the doctor, like where he talks about the end that he needs to mend his ways. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're a couple, let's see, where's the deep was what three stories before this. So we've kind of had a thorough arc in this season where you know where there should have been a different way and i mean right. i need to amend my ways and how do we pay that off we get colin baker coming <laughs> wow <laughs> but you know the, the other side of that is uh think about if this had been the concluding story of season 20 and then the first story of season 21 is warriors of the deep it sort of has that thematic carry through you know sure. it would have made some sense except that you would have the five doctors stuck in the middle of it right know? but you would have had a little bit more of that 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 carry through i think yeah i mean i can see that and again it's just i think it's just unfortunate because again i'm wanting i guess i, I don't know I'm, I'm i'm putting modern sensibilities on a 
you know, tea time adventure show from the eighties where that sort of thing wasn't as focused on, you know, true. Nowadays it would be, and it would make a difference. Exactly. Um, It's just, it was a great idea and concept that just doesn't really give the payoff that it promises from the end of the story, you know? So overall, if you were to give this story a score from one to 10, where would you put it? I know. Um, I would say, all right. So I guess if I had to stop and think through this through logically, if it was an actively bad story, it would end up below a five. And if it starts overall a good story, it would be over a five. I think this is a bad story with good ideas. So maybe it lands right at a five. Okay. Fair enough. I'm going to, I would give it an eight. I just, I just love it. I find it to be an enjoyable adventure story i think it's a good action story i think that the payoff at the end with tegan's reaction to everything that's happened is so strong i think that yeah i'm gonna bump it to a six just for the tegan leaving leaving story and then the the way that it looks that that is deserving of putting it on to just over the the good side i'm gonna give it so i you've talked me into bumping (laughs) that up to a six you know but but the thing is it's like i watched robots of death last week and like right. I just I am enraptured and can't take my eyes from the screen. Here is like after like the fiftieth on screen death. I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> right? Is this gonna Another be over with already? Down. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> All right. So, what recommendations do you have for us this week? On oh, good the, for the, uh, what are we gonna call this segment? Uh, I don't know what we called it last week. Josh's spinoff media corner. I like it. Let's that do that. We need to we need <laughs> to give you a jingle or something. Sure. So uh, for Josh's spinoff media corner, so picking up from uh, Resurrection of the Daleks, there is a story uh, from Big Finish, um, one of the early main range stories uh, by Lance Parkin called Davros. Yeah, and it actually picks up after the end of the story. It, it kind of actually tells you how Davros is saved from this story and is uh, alive in revelation. And it's a story where he gets uh, picked up by some wealthy industrialists and they kind of revive him and uh, bring him to use his expertise uh, as a scientist to help revitalize society. And he's like, Oh, I've I've all turned over a, a new leaf and all this kind of stuff. Um, and then, of course, the Sixth Doctor shows up, and it's all a bunch of BS because it's Davros. Mm-hmm. But um, it is Terry Malloy who has been playing Davros, you know, through the end of the classic series. And this was done uh, late '90s, I'm gonna guess. I don't know exactly when he did it, but you know, enough to where he is comfortable with the character and comfortable with that characterization. And of course audio really allows him to play it to his best because he's not constricted by the makeup and having to be in the chair and his performance. So like he really can throw himself into it. Plus he is a veteran radio performer and that's his medium. So, right. So he, I mean like they play it for a good time. Like you don't know, like maybe, I mean, obviously you know that he's not turned over a new leaf, but uh, you know, they, they, they play it straight for a good time. And he, he's so good in his performance that you could make believe, at least believe why other people think that he's turned over this new leaf. Right. 
and it's a great story. It's, you know, Colin Baker, who is, you know, on full, you know, form in his audio characterization. So, you know, it's a good Six Doctor story. And th what happens is the doctor shows up, sees that Davros is working for this company, and he, like, doesn't trust that Davros is doing. And he says, well, you know what? I'm going to do the same job, and I'll give you what you really want. And so it's like him and Davros playing off each other, but kind of working together. So many great you know scenes between baker and malloy so it's called again it's just called davros it's the story that picks up right after resurrection of the daleks highly recommended check it out and this was if i remember rightly this was the first uh davros story in big finish uh, yeah it? i think it might have been it because it was it was part of a trilogy where they brought back yes. uh, a bunch of old monsters yeah um so it i think it may have been uh, cause right after they did this and we want to go more recommendations, they did actually did a series called I Davros, yeah. which is Davros's, you know, growing up on Scarrow and how he ends up at the beginning of Genesis, which yep. is also very, very good. Absolutely. And, th and those were done right around the same time. Mm hmm. All right. Well, that was fun. Absolutely. Loved it. Who knew that talking about an Eric Sayward story could be so much fun? You know, and, and after we finished last week's episode, I was thinking, you know, that should have gone a little longer. It it does go a little longer when the two people discussing it don't agree on every single point. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> when you're talking about robots, it's so damn good that yeah. everything that we could say about it, we both agree on. So <laughs> anyway, so we will be back next week with we're going to be jumping uh, forward a couple of decades and we're going to get into the peter capaldi era which i'm super excited about one of my favorite well it is my favorite period of the modern series and we're going to be doing a two-parter from his middle season under the lake and before the flood super excited to talk about that one so this mean you get to be my carer in this episode you, you get to be the one who cares I'm 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 your carer because so you don't have to or whatever the line is. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great line, though. It is a great line. All right. So we'll see you all next week. Let us know what you thought of Resurrection of the Daleks. Uh, you can email us at Dr. Who A to Z at Gmail. Or if you're listening on the anchor platform, there is a link where you could record a voice message. And if you do that, we will play it on next week's episode. Exciting. Yes. So we will see you again next week. Take care and have a good week. Take care, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening to Doctor Who A to Z. You can find episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast, and other podcast networks. Theme remix used by kind permission of Doctor Who composer Dominic Glenn. We'd love to hear from you, so please drop us a line at Doctor Who A to Z at Gmail or leave a comment wherever you're listening. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe and consider leaving us a rating or review on your favorite podcast platform. See you next time. And until then, remember, we're all stories in the end. Just make it a good one. Yeah.